I heard a lot of good mornings over here and over, and I heard two women quietly go, good morning. Ben, open us a word of prayer. Amen. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Uh, Sylvia this morning gave me an envelope material that was sent to her. It was from the Ekinkar Center. So if you truly want to learn about God in your past lives and what the future holds for you and what they want to call heaven, just see me afterwards and I can loan you a book to help you become an echist. Yeah. That is a hippie religion that started back in the 60s. And you have Eckmasters. And they say, why am I even mentioning this? Because the importance of today's lesson is the fact that God wants to dwell with you and in you. In people, we were on the street corners yesterday, we were handing out tracts. It's the first time I can remember getting the bird for singing Amazing Grace. I know my voice wasn't that bad, okay? And so it's just, we live in a day and age where you have people, there's a lot of thumbs up, there was a lot of people. I got to give out the most tracts yesterday. I gave out over 10 tracts. And people took them. And the only one who was upset was a lady. After I, she says, why are you giving this to me? And I says, because it'll tell you about Jesus and how you can know that you're going to heaven. I know I'm going to heaven. And I says, well, how, are you, how do you know that? She says, what are you talking about? And I'm going, I'm sorry. And I said, because if you were to die today, do you know you'd go? And she goes, yes. Why? Because I know Jesus Christ is my Savior, and I felt like saying, God bless you, and please leave me alone, you know. <laughs> and she claimed to be a saved lady, okay? But she took the track, and the guy with her, he just watched as she was giving me a hard time, and he smiled. There were two people in those uh, electric buggies, okay? They were both, they couldn't walk well and stuff. And it was just, I'm, I'm looking at this, and I'm going, boy, no wonder we want their religion. We finished up. And a guy pulls into, we're getting the signs, we're getting ready to, I was getting ready to pray. And this man pulls in to the parking lot, or his girlfriend did. He hops out and he comes over and he goes to hand everybody a bottle of water. And he says, I really appreciate you for what you guys are doing on the corner. And James had a chance. We're invited him to church. He's not saved. His name is Angel. And then, of course, James jumped out. With a name like Angel, you know you need to be at Emmanuel, you know. <laughs> and stuff with it. Because what it is, is people want a God into generalities. Okay, They want a God that they can say, oh, I believe in God, and God is good, and God loves all people, and God doesn't judge sin, because we all just got to get along in love one for another, no matter what our differences are, right? Isn't that the day and age we live in? God's a God of holiness. God's a God of righteousness. God is a God of love. But faithful are the wounds of a friend. Okay? 
And so we look at this, and today we're going to be looking at things about the tabernacle. And in the beginning, what did God do with his creation, with mankind? Genesis chapter 3, look at verse 8. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto them, Where art thou? See, what you see here is that God walked with them. Okay, Genesis 5, verse 22. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. Verse 9 of chapter 6. And these are the generations of Noah. And Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. People want to be able to have a stroll with God. They want to, because you know what? We're different than the animals. We know there is something more. Okay? Well, they walked with him. But you know what God wants? You can go for a walk with someone down the street. I've seen people go out, you know, um, Ray McMillan's sister, Sandy, walks by our house. She walks miles. Mike's aunt. And uh, she does. And that's one thing. She's walked ever since she got thrown off a horse and broke her neck and he had major surgery. I remember visiting her in the hospital in one of those halo cages. And she doesn't, I don't think she rides horses anymore, does she, Mike? And, uh, yeah, she got thrown off a horse and hit her head on a rock and broke her neck. But she walks miles. And she walks spring, summer, fall, and winter. And she walks. And every now and then you'll see somebody who comes out and they walk a while with her. But they're just walking with her. They're not really close, close. It's not like she dwells with them. You get the difference? Exodus chapter 25. The purpose of the tabernacle was that God could dwell with them. What is your memory verse? And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell with among them. Exodus 25, verse 8. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Look at verse chapter 29 and verse 46. And that they shall know that I am the Lord their God that brought them forth out of the land of Egypt that I may what? Dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. God is always desired. Does he need us? No. But he is a personal God. He desires a close relationship with us. <clears throat> and somebody says, well, I don't feel that with God. It's not because God moved away from you if you're saved. It's you've moved away from him. 
it's kind of like the joke where the, the, the husband and wife have been married for about 40 years. You know, when they first got married, you know how it is when you first get married and stuff, and all of a sudden, if you're driving, and it, it doesn't happen nowadays be, as much because everybody has bucket seats. But I grew up in a day and age, you had station wagons, you had the cars, they had the bench seats, okay? And when they first got married, the woman would sit over next to her husband and just lean into his shoulder. You know, and you could tell when they got been about married about 10 years, all of a sudden there was at least uh, a box of Kleenexes between them. They got married, they were married about 25 years. Okay, and she's over on the other side. Okay, and this woman after 40 years looks over at her husband as they're taking this long trip together and she goes, I don't know what happened. We're not as close as we used to be. And her husband turned to her and looked at her and said, I haven't moved. See, so you know what we do. We let that emotional, that physical, that personal relationship drift. And I'm not picking on you women because men do move. That's like the guy who turned around and his wife says, you don't tell me that you love me anymore. And he says, I told you that when I married you, didn't I? When I stop loving you, I'll tell you again. That's not how that works. That's not how you dwell with someone. It has nothing to do with our lessons this morning. But men, you want the things to work well with your wife? Don't forget to tell her that you think she's beautiful. Tell her she's beautiful. If you don't think so, tell her anyways. Because beautiful is as beautiful does. Right? Commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts will be established. It'll protect you. Okay. So God wants that. He desires that relationship. The problem is, is God has to regulate the relationship due to man's sinfulness. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord, I can't hear you. What? The Lord will not hear me. You ever notice, if you're married long enough, eventually, if you're staying close, you know what you do? You can finish each other's sentences. You know what the other person is going to say. Okay, women always thought they know what the man's going to say. But they don't. And men are always afraid they're going to say the wrong thing, so they don't talk. Learning to be vulnerable with one another is very, very important. If you can talk with each other, you'll stay with each other. God hasn't moved. His arms are outstretched still. When Israel obeyed God's law, he would dwell with them and protect them. If they disobeyed, there would be death among them. What happened when Israel turned their back on God? And you, they used to think that, the, if you know your Old Testament, that the Ark of the Covenant was their protection from God. It was a symbol, right? The Ark of the Covenant. They fell into sin 
The Philistines took it one time, didn't they? And they felt, you know what Israel said? The glory has departed. David danced before the Lord when it came back to them. He was so excited about the relationship being reestablished. Okay, so you know what it comes down to. If they obeyed God's law, it was close, right? If you're raising children, if they disobey you continually and you still give them everything that they ask you for, you are a horrible parent. God bless you. Right? The relationship has to be built on the intimacy. The intimacy is broken when rebellion comes in. Now, we're dealing with, guess what? You guys, I've been here long enough, you know this preacher, this pastor is not perfect. Not even close. I tell you, if you don't understand that, talk to my wife. She will inform you. Okay? Trouble is, is she, doesn't, she doesn't talk about me that way. And she doesn't like it when someone else does. But you know what it is? We have a God who is perfect. He never sins. He never thinks the wrong thing. He never does the wrong thing. If you think he does, it's because your view and your relationship is off. God knew that they were sinners, the children of Israel. And they wouldn't be able to keep his, uh, his commandments. Turn to John chapter 24. I hope I can do this quickly enough. John chapter 2, excuse me. It's John 2 verse 24. If you can go to John chapter 24, you've got a different Bible than me. John chapter 2. Look at verse 24. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he what? All men. And needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what? What was in man. Okay? Turn to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my what? My down sitting and my. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, and whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be, what? Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, from thee. But the night shineth as the day, and darkness as the light are both alike to thee. Think about that. In a relationship, God knows all about our sin. Every breath that we take, every thought that we think, every word that we speak, every actions of our hands and feet. 
and God still reaches and loves me? Would you want anyone to judge you for every thought that went through your mind during a day? We haven't got to go for a week, just in a day. Okay. How about when you go to the grocery store? When you're in Walmart? When you're at work and that person is being unreasonable with you or they're not understanding what you're saying and they're ignoring it if you're in a place of a responsibility? If you're in the parking lot, Christians sin more in parking lots than they do any other place. Hmm? God knows every thought. Every time that thought went to your man's mind, okay, you men, that you wished your wife wouldn't tell you about this. Or she would just get to the specifics. Okay? Or she would let you know what she wants you to tell her. So you're not in trouble. God knows every thought. Every intention of your heart. And he still loves you. See, he hasn't moved. He hasn't moved. Unless they were given a way of escape, God would have to punish them. You know what the tabernacle was for the children of Israel in the wilderness? It was God's way of escape. They would come and they would make their sin offerings. They would make their burn offerings. They would give their worship. And it was a place where, you know, and what they realized is that we're told in the book of Hebrews, and any priest standing offering oft times the same sacrifices which can never can't clean them up. They'd be remitted. But God gave them away. Okay, and he knew they weren't going to keep their commandments. They needed a way of escape. There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which ye are able, but will with the temptation make a way of to be able to bear it. God made a way for the children of Israel to escape the penalty of their sin. When they sinned, what did he tell them? You shall surely die. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day you eatest thereof, thou shall... Has the message changed? Sin kills. Sin kills. So they get the bright ideal in America to just put out all these different uh, commercials say, just don't do it. If I spend a lot of time with my, my Derek and Sammy are in the house where they're living with us there temporarily, it doesn't make any difference. You know what you kind of like, you trigger something in a kid's mind when you tell them, don't touch it. And then you go out of the room and it's like, well, why don't they want me to touch it? What is there about touching that? I wonder if I touch that, I'll be smarter than that. You never know what goes on in their mind. Okay. Every, every knob and button in my truck for Sammy is a way to kill Nazis on the way home. I go, don't touch that. He goes, will it make the truck explode? And you watch him. 
Sammy, don't touch that. That's our secret weapon. We'll shoot out the roof. Yeah, it goes out the roof. We take that planes down. Yeah, we got it. Okay. God had to make a way of escape. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Israel had to come to the tabernacle to make the offering. The priest would then make the sacrifice and the sin would be remitted, held in store because it hadn't been paid for until a certain lamb was sacrificed. Amen? They would escape through the tabernacle. He made a way in his mercy so they could be with him without being destroyed. And then we come and he make, tells them how to make the tabernacle. And if you start reading in Exodus and you start reading in chapter 24 or so thereabouts and tells them the beginning of their worship and they tell him in Exodus 24 in verse 3, at the end of the verse, it says, And all the words which the Lord hath said we will do. And we've talked about that. And then he tells them to make offerings in Exodus 25. And you see the tabernacle design of it in 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, and 30. You ever think about, you know what a tenon is? Do you know what the, the rings are for? Do you know what they had certain boards? They had to be made of a certain wood. And the articles of the tabernacle were made of wood, and then they were overlaid with pure gold. And he gave them the length and the width of every board, the shape of every tenon, where every stake they drove in, how the fabric was made, what color it was supposed to be dyed, in what order it was laid out. You know what I want you to see? God's a God of details. You know why the world doesn't want to worship the God of the Bible? Because God is a God of details. He was very concerned in the way the tabernacle was made. Hang on to that, all right? He gave specific instructions on how it was to be built. Do you know what my Bible tells me? And people try to say, this only, this only applies to Jesus. Ah, nuts. Okay? I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth. Right, well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. God's a God of details. The tabernacle was a moving temple. So wherever the children of Israel went, they could set up the tabernacle. It was set up a very specific way. The entrance to the tabernacle, the, the court of the tabernacle, the curtains all the way around the outside of it were opened only in one direction. You had to come in one way. And if they came in, that was the sign for Israel and the people who were going to attack them around them that God dwelt with them. When the temple was built in Jerusalem, that was a sign to the world. That's God's mission's. In the Old Testament, people would come to Jerusalem, they'd come to the temple, and they'd see the glory of God and the worship of God there. God changed that in the New Testament, didn't he? 
he went back to a moving tabernacle that was made in a very specific way. You're not a mistake. No child when unperfect in the womb is a mistake. God takes some of them earlier than others, and I understand that. But God doesn't make mistakes. He gave specific way to build it. You know why I say that? Because God's concerned with every detail in our lives. He's a God of detail. Now what we have there, and we, he made the outer court. It's a rectangle-shaped border made of fine twine linen, almost twice the size of a basketball court. And that border, that court, was almost seven feet tall. It had an entrance that was about 30 feet wide and was the only way in. Exodus chapter 27. Verse 9, And thou shalt make a cord of the tabernacle. For the south side, southward, there shall be hangings for the cord of fine twine linen, a hundred cubits long for one side. A cubit is approximately 18 inches. That's the span from the tip of the fingers to the elbow. Okay, that's the cubit of a man. And 20 pillars thereof, their 20 sockets shall be of brass, and the hooks of the pillars in their fillets shall be of silver, and likewise for the north side, the length thereof shall be hangings of a hundred cubits long, and twenty, his twenty pillars, and twenty sockets of brass, and the hooks of the pillars in their fillets of silver. And for the breadth of the court, the west side, shall be hangings of fifty cubits, and their pillars ten, and their sockets ten. And the breadth of the court on the east side shall be fifty cubits, and the hangings of one side of the gate. Now he mentions the east side, and then tells you what about the gate? That's the way to come into the court. Shall be 15 cubits, and the pillars thereof, and their sockets three. And on the other side shall be hangings 15 cubits, and their, pillar, cubits and their pillars three, and their sockets three. And for the gate of the court shall be, and I have a hanging of 20 cubits, of blue and of purple and of scarlet and of fine twine linen, wrought with needlework. And their pillars shall be four, and their sockets four, and all the pillars round about the court shall be filleted with silver, and their hooks shall be of silver, and their sockets of brass. And the length of the court shall be a hundred cubits, and the breadth fifty everywhere, and the height five cubits of fine twine linen, and their sockets of brass. All the vessels of the tabernacle and of the service thereof, and all the pins thereof, and all the pins of the court shall be of brass. And thou shalt command the children of Israel that they bring thee pure oil, olive beaten for light, to cause the lamp to burn always. In the tabernacle of the congregation without the veil, which is before the testimony, Aaron his son shall order it from evening to morning before the court. It shall be a statute forever unto their generations in the behalf of the children of Israel. So you've got the outer court, okay? You walk in. Told you, it's seven feet high. It's about 98 feet long. It's just about, the, you know, twice that, I should say. It's twice the size of a basketball court, which is 98 feet. So you've got 100 in 80 feet, 186, 190 feet long, 7 feet tall, about 30 feet wide was the entrance, and there was only one way in. The first thing you saw when you came in was the brass altar. When you entered the gate, and there the priest would burn the animal sacrifice. It wasn't inside the holy place. It was in the outer court. 
And they would make sacrifice, and the fire was to be burning day and night. Exodus 27, verses 1 through 8. For sake of time, we won't turn there, but you can read about it. You find it also in Leviticus chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. That's the first thing when you came in to the tabernacle court, a sacrifice for sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let us therefore come boldly unto the, that we may obtain mercy and grace to help in time of need. You have the brass altar. Then you have the brass laver. Second instrument you saw, I, if I was better with a computer, I could bring the thing up. I could have Shannon drop the screen down and I could show you a picture on all the parts in it. Because you could find that stuff online. But I'm lazy. So you have to use your imaginations, which you forgot to do. If, you, if I have Sammy read this, he could draw it out and describe it for you. Okay? If I gave Derek enough time, he could take the Legos and build a, a model of this thing. Just give him the picture of it. He doesn't need details. I'm watching these kids. You gave them some time off. I work them hard on their parents' house. They come home, and they had half a day, and they were playing with Legos. And they covered from one bedroom into the, end, the middle room upstairs. And they had bridges, and they had buildings, and they had battlefields, and they had this, and it was all set up. So they, I know they could build this. Okay? Second instrument you saw was a, the brass labor, and the priest would go and wash his hands and his feet before entering the tent, going into the holy place. Exodus chapter 30. Verse 17. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Thou shalt make also a laver of brass, and his foot also of brass, to wash withal, that thou shalt put in between the tabernacle of the congregation the altar, and thou shalt put water therein. For Aaron and his son shall wash their hands and their feet thereat. When they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water that they die not. Or when they come near to the altar to minister to burn offerings made by fire unto the Lord. So they shall wash their hands and their feet that they die not. And it shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his seed throughout their generations. Isn't it interesting? If they're going to perform the priesthood, they need to be clean with what they do. And where they've been. Do you think about that? The picture of that? And if they aren't clean, God will get more glory out of their death because they'll see the glory and power of God than he will out of their life. I wonder how that applies to me. It applies to you. So they had to get washed, get clean. You have the tabernacle, the tent, the dwelling place, the home, and he had two parts separated by the veil. It's Exodus 26. That's the holy place, the tabernacle inside the courtyard. Okay? First part of the tabernacle is called the holy place, and it had three things in it. Once you come out of the courtyard, come into the holy place, the tabernacle, the tent. You come inside because it's a tent. You have a golden candlestick that's to light your way. And it gives light so you can see and minister. 
and it's supposed to be burning day and night. If we go to Exodus 25, Exodus 25, verse 31. And thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold, of beaten work shall the candlestick be made. His shaft and his branches, his bowls and his knops and his flowers shall be the same. Very specific and detailed in how it's made. And the six branches shall come out of the sides of it, and three branches of the candlestick out to the one side, and three branches of the candlestick out the other side. Three bowls made like unto almonds, with a knop and a flower in one branch. And three bowls made like unto almonds in the other branch, with a knop and a flower. So the six branches that come out of the candlestick... And the candlestick shall be for four bowls and make like on the almonds with their knops and their flowers. And there shall be a knop under two branches of the same, and a knop under two branches of the same, and a knop under two branches of the same, according to the six branches that proceed out of the candlestick. And their knops and their branches shall be the same, and it shall be of one beaten work of, this is not wooden, of pure gold. It's just gold. And thou shalt make seven lamps thereof, and they shall light the lamps thereof, that they may give light over against it. Now see, because what have you got? Can you picture the candlestick? You got a center one, and then three that come off on each side. Very specific, right? And the tongs thereof and the sand snuff dishes thereof shall be of pure gold. Of a talent of pure gold shall he make it with all these vessels. Why am I making this emphasis? It's to shed light. Because what we're going to see when we get in there. The candlestick is lit, and then there's a table of showbread. Who's supposed to shed light in a Christian's life? The candlestick is a picture of the Holy Spirit. He will guide you into all truth. Carla and Karen and Walter, they're working on the shower in the back. The one thing we had to make sure that we had there for them was enough light behind them to shine on what they were trying to do so they could do a very specific layout. Without proper light, you get caught in the shadows and things can get out of alignment just a little bit. You know what you do when you snuff out the light of God in your life, when you quench the Holy Spirit or you grieve the Holy Spirit? The light, spiritual light in your life, just dims a little bit and you can get caught more in the shadows. And when things are in the shadows, things get a little bit out of alignment. And they're not in the order and the specific position God would have them. Because there's the need of light. The next thing you come in is the golden table of the showbread. You know what that does? That, provides, that symbolizes God's provision and nourishment. That table was of three feet long, two feet high, and one and a half feet wide. The bread was laid out on it in two rows of six. Sixty-six. Isn't that interesting? What else has 66 in it? It represented the provision and nourishment for the children of Israel. And it, it was two rows of six because it was supposed to be representing the 12 tribes of Israel, but also it represents the 66 books of your Bible. Numbers mean something. The 
priest baked a new batch of every week with permission to eat it. I can give you the verses. They had that permission. The next thing you came in. So there was the bread. You know what? What is the Bible supposed to be for us? Milk and bread and meat. Right? Desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Strong meat belongeth to them who are of full age, having their senses exercised therein. The showbread is a picture of God's word. If you're not in God's word, you're not growing right. That was the showbread. The next thing you come in as you're walking in is the golden altar of incense, and it symbolizes prayers going up to God. Psalm 142. I mean, Psalm 141, excuse me. Psalm 141, Lord, I cry unto thee, make haste unto me, give ear unto my voice, and I cry unto thee, for I cry unto thee, let my prayer be set forth before thee as a sweet savor. In the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. It symbolizes prayers going up. It was to be burning all the time. That altar of incense with the snuffer, the thing there that sat there, the golden censer that they put, the, or the brass censer they put the incense in to burn, it sits on that table, it was burning there. It was not to go out. It represented prayers before the Most High God. 1 Thessalonians 5.17. I'm going to give you a memory verse. You can learn it right now. Ready? Pray without ceasing. It's not to go out. Pray without ceasing. I texted people in the middle of the night, my daughter, I text her all the time, say, honey, I'm praying for you because I know that she's not sleeping well on the chemo drugs. And she sends something back. Or I send her a, a, a psalm, a hymn, or a spiritual song. I had different people, some of you sitting in here, I prayed for in the middle of the night. Said one, you're going to answer to prayer. Someone else I contacted. I, that's how I know that Chris Ronco is got some intestinal issues. He thinks it was food poisoning. I prayed for him and I texted him and said, "I'm praying for you." And then we texted back and forth. Do you know something? Every time God brings a name to mind, you know what you ought to do with it, even if you don't know what it's about? If you're upset with somebody, pray for them. If you're missing somebody, pray for them. If you're concerned for somebody, pray for them. Does it have to be, oh God, I thank God that I am not as other men. I fast three times a day and I give tithes of all that. That's not what God's looking for. Are you willing to communicate with him? So he, you are, when you do that, you're opening up the greatest tool you have in the Christian warfare, and that's prayer. Now it has to be prayer according to God's will, and that's where eating the showbread helps you, because you understand what the prayer ought to be about. But it symbolizes the prayer, and it's pray without ceasing. 
That's the holy place. You go through the veil that was rent in twain when Jesus said it is finished because now the holy place is not separated from the holy of holies. The veil was rent in twain. But you go through that. And the second part's called the most holy and it had special items in it. It had the ark, a rectangular box made of wood covered with gold, about four and a half feet long, two and a half feet wide, and two and a half feet tall. It was wood covered with gold. Gold is a symbol of deity. Wood is a symbol of something that deteriorates and falls apart, just like my body. Jesus Christ was man and God. It was where God's presence showed up. When you read through Exodus and you read this, I don't want you just to go through it anymore and say, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, well, they did this, they did this, they did this, they did this, they did this. Understand there's application to the tabernacle, to the temple in the heavenlies. And it's a picture of the perfect worship of God. It's also a picture of you as God's moving temple. Know ye not that your body is the temple of God, which you have in you, and you're not of yourselves, you're bought with a price? Therefore glorify God, and every article of that temple was to glorify God, done very specifically with your body and with your spirit, which are his. Okay? The Ark of the Covenant, it had in it the Ten Commandments. It had an Aaron's rod, because Israel was a nation born of signs. Jews require a sign. Unless you're Jewish, quit looking for signs. Live by faith in God's word. He gives you the commands he wants you. What's the greatest commandment? What is the commandment that should base everything else in our lives off of? Thou shalt love the with all thine, with all thy, with all thy, all thy mind. There, one place gives you three, the other place gives you the four. It's all thy mind, all thy strength. All right? And the second is like unto the first. Thou shalt love thy as thyself, on these two hang all the, you got it, okay? You understand what you have there? The ark had ten commandments, it had Aaron's rod, it had the pot of manna. Aaron's rod showed what made them special, okay? It flowered. The pot of manna was there to show God's provision moment by moment. And it was kept in the Ark of the Covenant. It's seen in Jesus Christ. Okay? You still with me? The high priest would enter once a year to offer incense and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. The blood that was sprinkled on the mercy seat was a covering for the broken law that was inside the Ark. Jesus is our ark. He's our covering for God's broken law. What do we have today? 
God dwells in the heart and the body of every saved individual. Your body is now the tabernacle of God. I want you to see Exodus ties into 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You didn't know that, did you? Verse 16 of 1 Corinthians 3. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God... For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not of your own? For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We no longer need a priest or a sacrifice to make reconciliation or propitiation. We're told in Hebrews, and I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 7. You turn to Hebrews chapter 7. I'm going to give you another verse to go with it. In Colossians 2.10, it says, And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Now, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 22. By so, so much was Jesus, Hebrews 7.22, made a surety of a better testament. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth ever, have an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore he is able to save them that to the what? That come unto who? By him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. We do not have a dead leader. We have a risen Savior. For such a high priest became us who was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity, but the word of the oath which was since the day, since the law maketh the son who is consecrated forevermore. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 4, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared for me. In burnt offerings and in sacrifices for sin thou hast no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. And when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offerings for sin thou wouldest not, neither hast pleasure therein, which are offered by the law, then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. You mean obedience has something to do with proper sacrifice, proper worship, true religion. Mm. He taketh away the first that he may escape, may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified, that's set apart, okay, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, how? Once for all, O sinner, receive it. Once for all, believe it. 
And every priest standing daily, ministering and offering oft times the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. When you have Jesus as your Savior, you have it all. What are we supposed to do? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be ye not conformed unto this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. A living sacrifice. It's a sacrifice of praise, Hebrews 13, 15. We're to rely on the golden candlestick, the Holy Spirit, to show us. We're to rely on God's word to feed us. And we're to offer up prayers as a sweet-smelling savor of incense before the throne of God. God showed us a picture, very specific, because he wanted us, the New Testament, to understand that picture and that there is one way. No matter what the world says, no matter what Ekenkar says, no matter, I was reading these articles, you know, mainline churches are falling apart because people are trying to make a God of their own choosing. They're trying to establish that you can worship God and be homosexual and be loved and accepted by Jesus. No. That you can change what, how God made you, male and female, and be right with God. No. But he made a way, because he knows we're sinners, that we can be made able to have fellowship again. He doesn't only want to walk with us, he wants to dwell in us. A husband and wife is the picture of the closeness of the dwelling, the spiritual that God wants. That's what we are to have. And all God's people said, take a break.